Hi, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. I'm Dane Deutsch, your host, coming to you with another episode of the Ararat Connection. This is going to be a great show today. There's nothing more important these days than character, and more specifically character-driven leadership. That was the topic of our radio show in October of this year. However, another topic of almost equal relevance and importance is the topic of getting secure and staying secure in this digitally connected world we all live in today. So that's the topic of today's uh, podcast, cybersecurity and the risks and challenges in manufacturing today. And today, again, we're excited to have Andrea Olson as our guest. She's the author of a book titled No Disruptions, The New Future for Mid-Market Manufacturing. Andrea Olson is inspiring and educating industrial business leaders on how to transform their outlook and approach to marketing, technology, and communications in order to operate more efficiently and increase their profitability. Andrea's 19-year field test Tested background provides unique, applicable approaches to creating leaner, more effective, technology-driven, customer-facing operations. A four-time Addy Award winner, she began her career at a tech startup and led the strategic marketing efforts at two global industrial manufacturers. Andrea is the CEO of Pragmatic, an operational strategy consultancy, and also the director of the Midwest Manufacturing Business Coalition a nonprofit organization dedicated to the advancement of mid-market manufacturing in the U.S. Andrea's most recent book, No Disruptions, provides manufacturing leaders an easy educational read on how to increase revenue generation through marketing, branding, and effective technology implementation. In addition to writing, consulting, and coaching, Andrea speaks to leaders and industry organizations around the world on operational strategies to discover new sources of revenue and savings. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Dane. Well, first of all, can you tell us a little bit more about your book? I was going through the book again since our last podcast and looking at some of the chapters that dealt with cybersecurity. Uh, in particular, uh, cybersecurity, some of it might have been cybersecurity related in terms of exposures and things that manufacturing plants are, are wrestling with these days. Um, but also in terms of the fear of technology still that's out there. So some people fear cybersecurity is not in place, so they fear the bad guys. But then on top of that, we have people who actually fear the technology itself as well. Isn't that right? Oh, most definitely. You know, and, and the challenge in manufacturers actually really starts at the, grass, at the grassroots level with education among employees. You know, everyone is coming from a different age background, generational background and experience background with technology. So there, you know, there's a big portion of infrastructure strategy and what processes you have in place to protect yourself, your information, your data, and your customers' data. But the bigger picture really comes back down to those employees that are doing business through digital communications with suppliers, with vendors, with customers, and then also the kind of social aspect because, you know, it's a very true fact that people do use work email and work uh, tools to do personal communication. So the challenge really starts with educating your employee base on what risks there are out there and understanding how their footprint in the digital space impacts not only their own personal risk within, the, within cyberspace, but also the company's risk. Sure. So 
during our show today, I thought we would try to bring out a few things that people can actually practically take away the talk that will really address um, the risk and address that, some of those fears that people have. So first of all, we're going to define for the audience cyberspace and, and what I call the human factor in terms of cyberspace and network security. Then we're going to talk to the audience and help and share with them about three key takeaways they can implement immediately uh, after listening to our show that will help them minimize that human factor, and maybe that will also help them minimize their <laughs> both technology and, and the cybersecurity piece. And third, let's, I think we'll chat about uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technology and why the NIST security framework can help them be able to understand how they can get compliant with the government for contracting purposes for those manufacturers that are working with the DOD right now. So first, just to go back and reiterate, October was Cybersecurity Awareness Month. However, every month, and even more so nowadays, every day, needs to be dedicated to cybersecurity awareness. I think you'd agree with that, right, Andrea? Oh, definitely. So vigilance is key nowadays. So think about this. Whenever you're connected, you or I are connected to the Internet, everyone on the Internet is potentially connected to you. Now that's mind-boggling and amazing at the same time. You know, there, what the Internet was called before it's called Internet today, it was called ARPANET, Advanced Research Project. And I was privileged to be part of that when it first began back in the 80s as ARPANET. And, uh, and now it's become and evolved into the Internet. But so much has happened over that time frame. A lot more speed, a lot more storage capability, faster uh, computers, so faster processing power. But at the same token, the other part that's also increased is the fact that there are more worms, more Trojans, more vulnerabilities, risks, security threats, you know, you name it. The bad guys are out there, and the bad stuff is out there, and we're just trying to do legitimate business. Mm -hmm. So let's start with that idea that that we have the, we are the weakest link, the human factor, because we can't we're not automated. We all are human. We are basically creatures of habit. We sometimes do things that are not logical, <laughs> mm -hmm. unfortunately, and so so the key question that I like to ask is, what do you, the listener out there? think is the greatest threat to our security in networks and on the Internet. And I'll give you a little hint. Talk about the bad guys for a little bit. It isn't the bad guys. It's something else. So if you said anything other than the human factor, you would be wrong. The human factor is the greatest threat. You and me. That's right. That's correct. We are the weak, weakest link in the security chain. So the human factor is what I call the fallibility of being human. We make mistakes. We're human. We get jealous. We get emotional. We get forgetful. We get lazy. We are just human. Those are all human traits and are really the greatest threat sometimes, unknowingly, because we let the bad guys into our lives, our networks, or our emails, etc. So I call it the human factor, and sometimes I even go beyond that and I say it's called the Houdini concept. You know, the great, uh, kind of after the great magician Harry Houdini. Because he believed there was no lock made that could not be broken into or out of. That's the same concept applied to the security realm. So if it was built by mankind, right, and the Internet and networks certainly were and are, then it can be broken and or broken into by mankind, meaning the bad guys sure. or anyone else. Thoughts on that? How does that you know, apply I, to the manufacturers? I, I, 
You know, it, it's very interesting, and, and I think you're exactly on point because people believe that once you have certain things in place, you know, I think people understand certain concepts like uh, antivirus software, right? And they go, okay, as soon as I plug this into my machine, I am fully protected from anything bad that potentially could happen. Uh, and I'll tell you a great example is, is there's nothing that is going to be 100%. Uh, just like in life, you can put locks on your doors, but that doesn't mean that you might not get um, your house broken into. Exactly. Um, and I can give you a real-life example is, is that uh, I was working at an organization uh, where we had a, a dedicated IT team. Uh, we had you know, firewall security. Uh, we had rules in place for certain emails that could come through and couldn't come through, certain sites that you could go to and certain sites that you couldn't access and of course antivirus software, all these very basic things. Uh, and there was a phishing email that had come through. This was the time uh, before the, the WannaCry virus came through, but it was still that ransomware virus early in those stages where that was kind of just becoming something. And a person in the marketing department uh, received an email. Uh, they weren't trained to understand and identify phishing emails. Right. So it looked fairly legitimate. They didn't identify any suspiciousness. It had uh, an attachment that was fairly innocuous, uh, and they opened it. And what happened was is because their computer was connected to the entire network, right, as you spoke, everybody is connected to everybody. So it was, that computer was it tied to the network that ran the company. And the virus actually, as soon as she opened it up, started, went right out of her computer and into the network and started locking down file by file by file by file. So then no one could access that, and it was a ransomware situation where uh, you know, the, the person or the people that had sent it uh, were asking for money to then allow the company to get back into those files. And those were things that people used every day. You know, they were product files, they were uh, documentation, technical information, drawings, because it just was going through the system. It didn't really care what it locked down. It just tried to lock down everything. So even simple things like that, you can have all these securities in place, but if the human isn't aware and understanding of what these types of threats are and how to identify them, no lock is going to be secure enough. Absolutely. That's a really good story. I'm glad that you shared that with the audience. You know, one of the things I think that I hear all the time is people are constantly telling me a couple of different things that are pretty um, relevant, I think, in terms of their world, but not in terms of security or cyber world. So one of the things I commonly hear is, hey, I, I haven't been infected or a victim yet, so most likely I won't be. In reality, most likely, it's only a matter of time. So we are all susceptible. And so one of the things to good defense is to be vigilant. And if you don't think you're going to be attacked, then you're probably not going to be vigilant either. So we want to make sure that folks out there are thinking about the fact that they need to be aware that this stuff is real and it's dangerous and it can end a lot of careers and or uh, businesses, uh, lifespan and that kind of thing. Second one I've heard before is, hey, I don't need to be locked down like Fort Knox. That's an interesting one because how do you know how much you need to be locked down by? Right. Right. <laughs> Think about right. this. 
you know, part of this whole cybersecurity space or landscape, if you will, out there in virtual world is that no one really knows uh, who is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And the bad guys only need to find one hole, one weakness to get in or, or get you to open a hole or, or be able to play on a weakness of ours, like clicking on an, in- an email link and inside an email, that kind of thing. Um, but we have to close them all. So you had mentioned the security training, and that is probably, that just kind of is a nice segue into the second part of this, which we've kind of just talked a little bit about cyberspace and security, Internet security and that kind of thing, and vigilance. But at the same token, we've got to find ways to be able to keep ourselves safe and minimize that human factor. And one of those is security awareness training. Mm-hmm. So in terms of security awareness training, that's great. But I think you would probably agree with this, Andrea. Anyone that goes out and does any kind of training, we don't really know if they understood what they got trained on until we see them in action. Right. So I often say in some of my college classes that, hey, if it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get done. And so a lot of times people will go out and do security awareness training. People are sitting there and they might be snoring through all the videos. And when they're all done, they can check off that it was, it was completed. Mm-hmm. But yet they didn't really learn a whole lot. And how do you measure that? So today there are services and we offer some of those services ourselves to manufacturers. We have quite a few manufacturers that have this, banks, or I should say quite a few companies, banks, financial institutions, manufacturers is one of those verticals, where we give them the security awareness training, but then we test them with phishing campaigns that are innocuous, meaning they're not going to do any damage to them, but it does click or it does collect their clicks and who clicked on that particular link when we sent those emails out to our own users. Then I can specifically go back and really um, surgically look at who it was that was clicking on those links. One of the manufacturers, it was all of the people in the finance area. But none of the people in manufacturing and none of management actually clicked on any of those campaigns in one particular month, which was interesting because that meant to me that those folks in the, in the finance area had not been through the training or that we hadn't tested them enough. And so there was like a 60% fish-prone rate. And after a period of time, once they got used to understanding they, can't, they didn't need to click on everything, that fish rate, that prone rate went down to like maybe 3 or 5%. And that's exactly what we want to see. So the training was effective, but at the same token, getting them to act and then testing that or measuring it and then getting them to act again or not act if they don't click on a phishing campaign um, helped to be able to identify whether that was really effective or not. So any thoughts on that, ideas? Have you seen any of that out there? You know, yes. I mean, you know, going back to the the previous story a little bit, you know, so in response after the kind of the situation was cleaned up, it was a bigger question of, you know, how do employees um, use the Internet how do they access information? And not only what stopgaps can be put in place from a physical perspective in the IT department, but then how do we outreach and educate and ensure everyone understands um, what risks there are out there to prevent the situation from occurring again? And right. um, in combination with some, some traditional training, we also actually developed a series of protocols. So 
in cases where there are things that you just, you know, you did click on something you shouldn't have. Um, there were certain training protocols, and we actually ran through exercises with every employee of, okay, you click on this, what are the first three steps I do? You know, and my first step is to disconnect my computer from the network. That was step one. And so physically disconnect to it like you're taking the, the cable? Take the cable, right. Physically take the cable out of the back of the machine. Right, so that means that those users there would have to actually know where the cable is and having gone and looked for it in the first place, right, so they could quickly get it out. Right. So the nice part was that it gave people an opportunity not only to un get to know their computer and understand how it's connected to the network, but understand where that cable is, go through the exercise, and actually go through the training of, okay, so you've clicked on something. Step one is, unplug your machine. Where do you unplug it from? <laughs> so we can test that. You know, that's easily measurable. And then second is, okay, you know, how do I capture then much, as much information about what I clicked on or what I did at that time? So the first thing is, okay, this was an email, right? You start documenting it. Maybe you take a screenshot. If they don't know how to take a screenshot, that's another training opportunity. Um, you know, um, what date and time was it at? Where was it from? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So now you're starting a documentation trail. It becomes a protocol versus just general training on, hey, be careful on the Internet. Here's things to look for because it can be so much information people have a hard time remembering. So I think oh, yeah. coupling with training, you also need to have an organizational protocol that stops the bleeding because people, people are infallible. They, there's things that are going to happen and they need to understand how to apply those steps to prevent further problems. And those are things that they can also then apply at home to themselves. Sure. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, anti-phishing campaign software packages out there like Fishbox and FishMe and KnowBefore. So those are all available, and we offer some of those for our customers. But, you know, if you take that one step further, okay, so let's say that they didn't click on anything, but yet somebody's sending emails out in their name or in their email as if it was their email address. So mm -hmm. one of the things that, I, that I've, I've experienced lately is, is this thing called the dark web. Have you heard of that, Andrea? Yes. Yes, I have. So, so I didn't know that you could get a dark web scan done on – I mean, I knew that you could get a dark web scan done on you personally, experience offering that on the television and all that kind of thing now in some of their ads. However, I didn't know that you could do it for companies on a domain basis. Mm -hmm. So I provided a dark web scan for a company, a manufacturer recently, and they have over 100 users on their network. And it sure. was very interesting to look down and scroll down what the underground in the dark web area, where those people are actually um, seeing, just like they're seeing, I'm seeing the username, their passwords, and how they may have been compromised or been, had, had their email and credentials harvested, if you will. Mm -hmm. And some of it came from companies outside of their responsibility or the user's responsibility, like Dropbox, Sure. or Ashley Madison, or uh, LinkedIn, who had been compromised or breached at one time, and those mm -hmm. credentials and their email addresses were harvested by the bad guys. And now they sit in databases under the ground, underground, so to speak, on the Internet, and that's what we call mm -hmm. the dark web. So emails can get compromised, credit cards can get compromised, 
and yet maybe that individual never touched a link and they didn't do anything wrong. And I think we need to help the audience understand that it isn't just about what they do or what technology they put in place for their network, but can you talk to me a little bit about you know, what do they need to do to be able to stay alert about things that are happening to other people out there in the world too? Yeah, definitely, definitely. The thing is, is that people believe that, uh, to your point, if, if they're the ones that, perform, that are performing appropriately, nothing will happen. And that's really just not the case. I mean, you think about it as you're a leaf on a tree. Uh, and anything that happens to that tree impacts you. Uh, so the challenge is, is that you, individuals have to be aware of when things start to change, behaviors start to change. You start getting uh, spam emails that you never got before. And where are they coming from? I, I will tell you that uh, even just recently, I started receiving spam emails from a, one of our clients that um, – you know, just went into my junk mail, but it was clearly that her profile uh, or her email or something that activity she did uh, got hacked. And within her network, within her machine, she had my email address, of course. So, you know, there is this interconnectivity that you have to think about. So when folks actually are even out just in their own personal time outside of work, there are so many things out there that might not be considered overt phishing tools, but they start capturing information. And if you're um, doing a lot of activity, let's say, for example, on Facebook, and there's a lot of different things like quizzes, or there's, um, you know, post your top five things that uh, you'd like to do on weekends. Those types of broad things can be sources of information collection. And so as soon as you have engaged with it, you say, well, I just told them that uh, I just filled out this quiz and, and uh, you know, it says that I'm a, I'm a Virgo. You know. uh, that's fairly <laughs> innocuous, right? It's not because everything tied to your Facebook profile is now tied to that activity. And so when you have that, you can look back and say, well, I have my email address on my Facebook profile. I have pictures of me at work. I have uh, posted other colleagues and connected with other colleagues. So now it's not just one piece of information they've captured. They've captured this entire history of everything you've done since you ever started on Facebook. And there's no way to look back and go, well, I didn't really want to post that information or I was, I was new to Facebook and didn't realize or uh, all this was maybe new at the time and none of these phishing things really existed. But the problem is, is that the paper trail is there. So it's tough to go back and, and <laughs> so to speak, reverse the water that's gone down the drain. Right, uh, Because right. once it's happened, it's already there. And it's, it's kind of, I think a lot of people think, even when Snapchat first started as a sexting application, people thought, well, the picture is there, then it's gone. But they don't realize that on the web, anything that is put on the web stays on the web in some mm -hmm. form or fashion somewhere. So interesting that, that you said that, I think, in terms of, um, you know, it, it could be other places like in your case, you're using Facebook, but it could have been Dropbox or LinkedIn or other places right. where we sincerely trust those people, but they themselves got breached or compromised. So Correct. the bad guys then can take those credentials and try to use them elsewhere, and which is another one of those human factors, right? We use more than the, than we use the same password in more than one place. 
Right. And so, you know, that's even more of a reason to make sure we're using something like LastPass or OnePass in order to be able to uh, manage passwords and keep them secure so that we don't have to use more than one place with the same password. So, interesting. So again, it's about vigilance, and yet the cyberspace continues to evolve, so it's getting bigger and bigger. How do we stay vigilant and alert on all of those things? And, uh, and some of it is working together. But one of those things, just hopping back to the dark web now, because we don't know when one of those other companies are going to be compromised, is getting alerts, especially if you're a manufacturer, or an organization, or a company, um, staying involved with getting alerts from the dark web. And we have services, other companies have services that offer a dark web scan and alerts that give you that potential to know, hey, all of a sudden your credentials are underground and here's where they potentially came from. And that helps to be able to be alert and vigilant too. So, Well, hey, we talked a little bit about passwords. Um, I just want to mention that there are so many people out there that think if I just have a username and password, that's good enough. But not always do they, are they secure that way? Because if you think about it, um, the username and your password are still just something you know in your head. And you put it out in fingers on the keyboard, but it's still something you know. So to have really good security, you need two of, three fac of any one of these three factors, two of, of these three factors. Number one is something you know. Number two is something you have, like your credit card, your smartphone, a little dongle um, that you can plug into your computer. And then number three is something you are. So that would be like your fingerprint or your iris, your facial recognition, your voice, for instance, that kind of thing. And so today, a lot of companies like Facebook, Amazon, those are the top two I would like to, the audience to go away with the idea that, hey, I've got a username and password for those accounts, but I need to go to their security settings and set up a second factor, meaning a text message might be sent to my phone, or I use another mode of verifying myself so that no one else can climb into my Amazon account and start using my credit card. And no one can climb into my Facebook account and start using it or capture it or shut it down or hijack it. And we've all probably heard of people having their Facebook accounts hijacked. But there are settings in Facebook and Amazon both, and as well as many other uh, applications that are on the web, to make sure that you can set that two-factor authentication or two-step verification on, and that will help almost make you impenetrable. I think sometimes I, I try to tell the customers and help them understand that you don't have to keep the bad guys out necessarily if they're looking at compromising you. You just have to be a bigger challenge or put up a bigger hurdle than the next guy. <laughs> yep. That way what happens is they'll go away and look for an easier target. Exactly. So with this two-factor, it gives you the opportunity to, to put up that extra challenge. So, um, and I think you talked a lot about uh, cyber technology in Chapter 4 in your book on how that relates to fear of change. Maybe you can talk to that a little bit more, but um, let me just mention one thing, and that is that in terms of fear of change, we also are creatures of habit, and we like convenience, right? We like things to be easy, and we, we are lazy probably for the most part, <laughs> and maybe that, maybe that is part of what you were really referring to in terms of fear of change. We don't want any, anything to disrupt us, right? 
Oh, why sure, why sure. You know, if you think about even something simple like uh, when you set up a password for something, and maybe six months or 12 months pass, and they request that you update your password and change it to something else. And everybody is typically so frustrated with the fact that they have to do this because now I have to think of a new password, and I have to remember that new password, and I just got comfortable with remembering this first one. Uh, so then, you know, that you get that extra layer of security by writing on a Post-it and putting it next to your computer, right? <laughs> so, so um, you know, it, the challenge with, with change is that in, in the cybersecurity and cyber technology world, uh, things are continually, continually moving faster and faster. And for those people that are continuing to resist change, it is occurring and will continue occur, to occur around you. And as you continue to resist just being open and accepting and continually learning what is going on around you, you will start to fall behind. And as you fall behind, you're putting yourself from a cybersecurity perspective more at risk. You think about those uh, individuals that I never do my computer updates because it always requests it at a bad time, and then it takes 45 (laughs) minutes to do, and it shuts down my computer. I had all these windows open. I don't want to close any of them. Well, the problem there is that these these types of things, updates, uh, password changes, etc., these are trying to help protect you in addition to your own vigilance. And so once you resist these types of things, you're putting yourself more at risk of actually having something happen. And I will tell you firsthand that, um, you know, uh, I've put in two-step security uh, on, on very key accounts that I have. And it is an extra, it's an extra effort. And uh, there's a long digital key that uh, I have printed in, in a secure place. And any time something comes up, I have to go and find it and pull it out of the file and type it in. But I've also found that it has saved me so many times over that I can't count. And for that small little inconvenience that is really minuscule, it saves so many hours of of potential problems that, you know, you could put a dollar amount to that, uh, but you almost don't want to think about it. So as right. you look at change, you say, you know, what, what is more important? You know, is it more important for me to just do what I've done because I'm comfortable with it, or am I making this change for a positive reason that's going to actually uh, be beneficial to me, not only in the short term, but in the long term as well? Right, and maybe even personally for your family because uh, you're not going to be impacted at home either, you know, credit scores and things like that. So, right. You know, on page 36 of your book, you say about 40% of respondents also believe that they have not taken adequate steps to ensure their companies are prepared for cyber attacks. Well, that's a great segue right into this third section, which is, okay, how do you know that all of your machines are updated or patched? or that policies you want to enforce in your manufacturing plant, like, hey, I don't want anyone using our mobile phones outside of the company, outside of the manufacturing plant itself, to do Mm -hmm. personal business. That's sometimes what people call bring your own device, you know? So some Mm -hmm. companies will reimburse their employees if they use their own personal phones. But how do you keep the company information separate from their personal information, which is really important, number one, but that also, if you don't have an actual method of doing that, 
then companies are, are vulnerable to allowing information to just kind of leak out. And that's been a big problem for some of our manufacturers because I know there are a couple that I have, I have seen over the past couple of years that are worried that they're losing CAD drawings or that right. somebody is pulling emails or sending files outside of their network. And so we call that data leakage prevention. And there mm -hmm. are managed security service, services that can help with that, some of it in the firewall, but some beyond that. And, and depending on what they use for their email service and others, they can actually put in some really good services to be able to stop that. Uh, that's what we call managed services. So they're automated, but then they get reports and they also know when things are not working properly in their network and that kind of thing. Because without that vigilance, it's pretty hard to be able to stay up on all of that. So that third piece that we were talking about there is all about getting automated patches and updates and making sure that device policies are in place and stay in place and that we're acting on the alerts that they might be giving us. So very interesting. The other thing that I've noticed, and I've trained a lot of manufacturers on their firewalls, is that almost nine out of 10 companies, Andrea, have no logging, meaning the firewall sits there at the entrance to their building, wherever that All is, right. and they don't know what is in, has been happening inside it. A bad guy could be inside their network, and now it takes like maybe 240 days, I think is what they say is the average, much like Target. They knew, Target IT people knew there was someone in their network months before they really actually recognized the damage. And yet, they even had logging to show them. But manufacturers and companies that have no logging are totally flying blind, so to speak, in a milk bowl, if you will, um, mm -hmm. because they don't know if someone's going in and out of their network or what is going in or out of their network. So, so that's also really important about... Um, you know, being able to know that because I think in Chapter 7 you talk about cyber attacks and, um, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on that. But gosh, you know, the, the whole idea of, of having an attack actually happen isn't like there's going to be smoke and big sounds for bombs and all that kind of thing, right? It's going right, to be more right. quiet and it may not be something that the bad guys want anyone to know they're doing in there. As an example, little bitty city in Wisconsin recently had the FBI show up on their doorstep. And lo and behold, their server in the background, this is a very mom-and-pop shop welding uh, company, has been mm -hmm. there for years, decades. Uh, the FBI shows up on their doorstep because the Chinese were using that, their server as a way to hide themselves or cloak themselves, if you will, to do attacks from their server uh, elsewhere in the world. Yeah. Right. So without that logging, they had no idea that was going on but the FBI was watching. <laughs> Isn't that right. interesting? Right. So, I mean, it's amazing because, you know, people really uh, make the assumption that, uh, you know, while we have, uh, let's say, all this customer information and data, and uh, we don't house uh, customer credit card information or social security numbers, and all we have is, let's say, CAD drawings and technical specs that, you know, no hacker would really care about. So what risk do we have? And there's really three major risks that are at play. And the first one, to your point, is that um, you know, people can just hijack your infrastructure, right? So they're not there to take anything or steal anything from your organization. They're just kind of using your equipment for free, basically.
basically for nefarious purposes. And it's just behind the scenes and, and it doesn't impact your day to day. But to your example, you know, the FBI can show up at your door. The second thing is that they can, they can take information if they feel that there's value to it. And it might not be your company's information, but it might be your customer's information. So now your organization is at a whole different level of risk in the sense of if you have uh, proprietary information from a customer on, let's say, a product that hasn't been released, and they hijack this information and offer it up for sale. Someone buys it, a competitor buys it, and has this insight, let's say. Uh, is your customer in a position where they can sue you because you didn't take appropriate steps to protect their data? That is a huge potential. And then number three is your own information. And this might not just be products and drawings, but this is employee information. This is social security numbers. This is um, uh, bank accounts. This is anything that your company does that touches the outside world. Sure. So these are three broad categories, but when you think about cybersecurity risk and what someone is looking to do or take from you, uh, you know, it can really run a broad range. Right. Well, you know, we've covered this whole cybersecurity awareness and what is cyberspace and, and what is the human factor or the Houdini concept. You know, where are our weaknesses and vulnerabilities as the human factor? And then we also went into the three keys to keeping you safe, you know, making sure you have some type of awareness training, um, the whole idea that um, you can have a strong password, but you need two-factor as a second. And then the third thing was, hey, get an automated service so that you know that those things are helping you to keep an eye on what's going on and stay vigilant, especially logging on your firewall. But I want to kind of finish up here and, and close by just introducing some of these manufacturers and maybe other listeners out there to the whole idea of compliance. And when we talk about compliance, sometimes it's another organization making, forcing us, so to speak, to be compliant, like banks with FDIC or, um, or PCI compliancy, uh, payment card industry compliancy. Um, and, and on the manufacturing side of the house, especially with those that are doing uh, contracts in the manufacturers that are doing contracts with the DOD, they're required to be NIST a framework security compliant. And so um, maybe we can talk a little bit about what NIST is and why they might need it and what it can do for them. Sure, sure. You know, and, and NIST has been around for quite some time. Um, and they're really an organization that focuses on establishing standards. Uh, they're not um, an authority in the sense of uh, coming around and checking to make sure that you have following procedure, but trying to develop a global standard or a United States standard for certain things. They're uh, not regulatory, they have, you mean. Right, not regulatory. And they have yep. come down into uh, the cybersecurity world, especially in manufacturing, because it is something that is continuing to grow and be a huge uh, challenge for these organizations. And so they've established an entire framework. And actually, uh, the DOD is looking to adopt um, certain requirements and policies. Uh, right now, that deadline is, for, is December 31st uh, for suppliers and contractors and subcontractors to follow this, this framework. Uh, and really, it's for protection purposes. Um, you know, if you think about every company that does something a different way and there's no universal standard, 
you know, how do you ensure that your information uh, as a, a partner or a customer of that company is secure? Uh, sure. So the DoD is really heading this uh, off because they have, I guess, a lot more at risk in regards to national security, if you will. Uh, but also that is going to be a trickle-down effect to especially major OEMs, major suppliers. You think of folks that uh, like John Deere, uh, General Electric, GM, uh, any of those big companies are going to say, we cannot have our information breached, access our systems um, accessed in ways that we don't uh, want anyone else to have information to. So the biggest problem is this is just the beginning of the waterfall. This is not something that's going to be optional. It's going to be something that's required as time goes on, and there will be certain requirements that will be regulated. So kind of like what we talked about at the beginning with ARPANET being the predecessor to the Internet, here the DOD, and that was, that was a collaborative effort, ARPANET was, between the government, uh, military, and higher level education in our mm -hmm. university systems. And a lot of it was built and based on research, and of course the whole ARPANET was all based on trust. Nowadays, because of the Internet, you can't trust everything. But here the DOD is once again leading the, the charge, and I hear what you're saying. It, it, it sounds very logical, and most likely will happen sooner than later. They will start to mandate that companies of every vertical marketplace actually get secure and have some type of mandate with some kind of penalty if they don't. So this might be just the beginning of that, that wheel, huh? Yes, exactly, exactly. But it is coming, and there's no downside to getting ahead of the curve. When we talked about fear of change, you know, if you think about um, like something simple, an analogy of home security, you know, there are times where let me, you live in an environment where you could leave your doors unlocked and time changes right. and now you have to lock your doors or you have to have a home <laughs> security system. Yeah. It is so much better as you see these changes occurring to get ahead of it and start early. Right? Embrace or lean into it, yeah. Lean into it, right. Don't be afraid to say, well, you know what? I'm going to put the locks on the doors. I'm going to install the security system. And God forbid if I never have to use it, that's fantastic. Right. But it's, that's the point is that it's worth the investment to be proactive. And then if it becomes a requirement, now you don't have to scramble to make that investment and an organizational change that could be two, three, four, five times larger than it was 10 years prior, five years prior, one year prior. Absolutely. Wow. Just think of all the topics that we've covered already today, Andrea. I mean, this, this is a huge, huge <laughs> area to explore, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, I, and, and it's only oh, exponentially wow. getting larger, and, and it's going faster, and it feels like we're on this merry-go-round that, that's just whipping around. So exactly. I hope that we've helped our audience today to, to learn a little bit more about cybersecurity, understand that whole, the whole idea of cyberspace, what that human factor is, and that they're part of it as well as uh, maybe some ideas on their two-factor and their password and logging for their firewalls. And finally, with the NIST regulations, maybe finding a framework that they can build on in order to help them get secure and stay secure. So we're coming to a close on this episode of the AirRack Connection where we focused on cyber, Internet, and network security. Again, we had Andrea Olson, our uh, guest today with us. And uh, let me remind you that you don't want to be the weakest link in the security chain. Your future, your reputation, and your people depend on you. So you need to get secure, stay secure, and make sure that 
uh, you're not the weakest link. If you'd like to lean, learn more, you can contact Andrea to access information on her book, her workshops, her keynote speeches, or consulting. You can connect with her on the internet and find out more information at www.pragmatic.com and www.nodisruptions.com. If this podcast has piqued your interest in cyber and network security, you can learn more at www.dcsnetlink.com or you can simply call us at 877-327-6385. We are your IT and security partner and coach. Help you get secure and stay secure in cyberspace. And remember, once again, don't you be the weakest link. This has been Dane Deutsch and Andrea Olson on Blog Talk Radio at the AirRack Connection. Until our next journey on the AirRack Connection, keep leading with character first. Trike on and smile on.